In sports, a playbook is a book that contains descriptions of the different offensive and defensive plays that are used by a team. Can playbook be implemented in work projects and personal life? Prepare your seatbelt for today's Flyford podcast episode, where we talk about the philosophy of a playbook and how American Finnish teacher and coach Riikka Rasanen implements it in projects and personal life. Stay tuned to get filled up. Hi guys, and welcome to the Fly For It podcast. Today our guest is Riikka Rasanen. Riikka, hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you? Cool, cool, thank you. So could you please quickly introduce yourself just in a few words? Yeah, so I'm Riikka Rasanen. Uh, for those international listeners, uh, it's Riikka, rhymes with Eureka. It's a bit easier to pronounce. And I currently work as a lecturer and team coach at Karelia University of Applied Sciences Business Academy, as well as a project specialist in EU-funded projects. So it's a bit of a mismatch of of activities, but uh, <laughs> mainly working at Karelia. Yeah, cool. And uh, I personally mainly study in Karelia University in the Business Academy, and I'm also trying to do some uh, IT business with my brother, developing a mobile app. So, yeah, Jenny, if you want to introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. My name is Jenny. I'm a 22-year-old business student from Karelia University of Applied Sciences. And I am the type of person who loves business from human perspective. I love finding meaning and all of that sort. So this is going to be fun. Uh, it's really nice that you came here. And we have this topic, playbook. Um Would you be so kind to tell us, like, what does a playbook mean to you? That's a good question. Um, in general, playbook just means to me having some kind of outline for your life, I guess, in general. Just having certain things that help you with your life. So if we think about it in, in sports terms, a playbook is typically used, you know, where coaches use it to give it to their their teammates so everyone knows kind of what they're doing. But personally, I think a playbook is just any kind of, you know, workbook for individuals, be it actually written down or or, you know, in your head. But it's kind of the way that guides you in in living and working. Mm-hmm. Do I understand right that playbook is kind of just set of, rules for something or yeah or plays What's, you know or, a- actual you know strategies of mm. of if we think about american football that's kind of where i i take the reference from uh you know you have certain plays uh which mm-hmm. is you know the formations that each player mm. has and right. how they actually then have their own strategy for each play and then playbook is an actual physical book that has all of the plays in it that then all of the players have to learn because then there are shorthand where the coaches can kind of show certain hand movements and then the players know which play from the playbook he wants the team to do next depending on what the scenario is in the game. All right, that's a really cool explanation of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it, the goal is kind of improve the performance of the team and maybe reach a goal, is that right? Exactly. I mean, the the goal of the playbook is to win the game, so whatever winning the game to anyone individually would mean, you know, everyone can kind of decide that on the, on their own. But I think a playbook in general is just kind of the way we work. Do you know how they kind of form or shape that playbooks for for like 
support. Yeah, so each each team typically has their own plays. So some of them, you know, might be similar to to other teams, but typically a playbook is also something that is not shared publicly. It's oh, a yeah. classified oh. document or it's a classified book that only the players and the coaches and who are in on the team, they are privy to that information. So so there have been uh, instances where certain teams will try and steal other teams' playbooks because then they'll know what strategy, mm. you know, be offense or or et cetera. So then they can, you know, do plays in a specific way. But obviously if you watch enough sports, you can kind of pick up on plays and, and figure out what the teams are doing. But And everyone obviously has a very specific way of playing. Mm. So typically uh, those teams would then create plays that best suit the players. So obviously mm-hmm. when you have new teams or new players, you kind of have to adapt also the playbook depending on you know who's on your team. Right. And I think that kind of works in life as well, depending on what your job is or your you know status as a, our individual is. Those you know your plays in life differentiate depending on what situation you're in. Hmm. How do they? How do they? Sorry, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> how do they develop the playbook? Like when I join a team. They already have something. Typically, uh, yeah. And and that, like, is it like changing sometime? Or? Yeah. So typically, coaches will update the playbook, and, right. and they're responsible. Typically, but it depends on the organization. Okay, so clearly, the playbook is very familiar to you, and it might have a place in your heart. Um, I would be really interested to hear about like where, like, in what areas in your life the playbook has been. So, could you like? Tell about your background and when did the playbook come into your life? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't have an actual physical playbook. Uh, it, it's more of more of things that I do that repeat themselves, which I could easily then put into a physical playbook per se. Um, but I think I started to do things in a very specific way in my mid 20s I would say is when I realized, you know, my self-identity in a sense and, and kind of how do I work? How do I learn? How do I, you know, react to other people? And I think that's a that's a good way to kind of look at things of you as yourself end up repeating yourself in situations. And what I mean by that is at some point you've kind of You have your identity, you have your way of looking at the world, and unconsciously you end up doing things very similarly. Mm. So I'd say probably in my mid-20s is is when I started to take certain things in my life where, for example, routines. Mm. I'm very, very routine-oriented. My typical days are to a degree very similar, and for me... That allows me to have a certain set sense of stability, for example, in like work days. Because I know even though my work days are different, the content of my meetings and who I am, you know, coaching that day change. But my routine on how I adapt to the day are typically very, very similar. And for me, that is, you know, a very key thing in my own personal playbook is I like to keep certain routines the same and obviously things happen and I'm not, you know, completely thrown off if if something, you know, changes from it because changes always come. But I think having that consistent routine 
as the backbone mm-hmm. helps also in if you know unexpected unexpected things happen then it's easy to go oh well tomorrow you know I'll pick up things again in in my normal way in a sense interesting you know uh, so, so you have those routines and maybe some rules in your work life and in personal life also yes. all right interesting because i think you know the um, or the way i would want to live my life is like like a soldier because they have those kind of really strict routines and discipline and stuff mm-hmm. But let's imagine that it's it's really good for work. But uh, if I am imagining a soldier planning a wedding or planning uh, some you know adventure, it's really kind of really well planned. So how do you do? You have some routines uh, when you have uh, day offs and uh, like weekends and occasions. How do you how do you approach them? Well, having a dog kind of forces you to have a routine even on your days off, you know. Uh, we have a German Shepherd, me and my husband, so, you know, she needs to go on walks and runs and, you know, do her business outside. So, you know, <laughs> you have to kind of have a routine. Uh, so even on the weekends, we get up fairly early, uh, mainly due to her as well, but also because on the weekends we like to keep a in that sense of a routine, we kind of... Uh, more my husband jokes more so that if he wakes up past 7 a.m. on the weekend, the weekend's ruined uh, because so much time has gone by. Uh, so because we like to actually enjoy the weekends and, and do stuff during the weekend or on our time off. So we like to be outside quite a bit and, you know, do hiking and, and cycling and stuff like that. So I do think that there is a bit of a routine even on my, like, time off, but I would say it's a much, it's much, much more relaxed. So, you know, I'm not looking at my clock to tell me when some meeting is starting or, you know, I have to plan a meeting with my husband too. <laughs> We're cooking now. Yeah. But, but I think even, even thinking about cooking, I mean, that takes time. So it does require some kind of planning for the weekend. If we, you know, plan to make a big roast dinner, you know, it's not going to be done in 30 minutes. We mm. have to prepare three hours for it. So that, that instinctually is a part of that the weekend discussion of of okay if we go you know hiking for a couple hours and then we come home probably that's not the dinner that we're gonna you know do because we know that it's gonna take longer I mean all of this is fairly you know common sense but I, I think it does go into this kind of general view on on how I personally yeah. you know lo- look at life and I think that's one of those things that just like any any sports team, every playbook looks different depending on the people. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of those things that, you know, during this podcast I have my own things, my own routines or my own experiences. And I think that's one of those things that any listener who's listening, that how how do they adopt it into their own life, not just, you know, take a carbon copy of it and say, okay, this is how, mm-hmm. you know, I create my playbook. It's going, okay, she does this and this and how does that look in my life? Well, that doesn't fit because I'm a, you know, night person. I like staying up, you know, past midnight, which I can't remember the last time I ever did that. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> maybe New Year's. Uh, so, you know, a couple months ago. What time did I go to sleep? Uh, typically... I'm like lights out by nine o'clock. All right, like, that's really cool. Yeah, so I, I typically will kind of wind down. I don't like watching TV or being on my phone or any you know technology devices before going to sleep. So I'll typically go in in quotes now. I'm it to bed uh, at around like eight because I like to wind down. So 
I will actually read physical books. Uh, I know that we have modern technology and, you know, have e-readers and audiobooks, but I personally enjoy the the winding down of the day of actually having a physical book. There's no notifications. There's nothing like blinking at me. We don't even keep our phones in the bedroom there, you know, on a, a table uh, in our in our kitchen. So it's where I actually, you know, de-stress from the day. Mm. And sleep is one of the main things for me in, in my playbook. I'm I've always loved sleeping. I've always slept very well. And that's something that is very, very routine. I remember during studies uh, when I was younger, we would be out partying with friends. And at one point I would just look, be extremely tired. And I, to all my friends, I would just be like, okay, I'm going home to go sleep. Bye. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm tired. Bye. <laughs> like, I, I have no problem leaving a party if I'm tired sure. because yeah. I want to go to sleep. Yeah. And I've always been like that. And I think that's one of those kind of like personality traits of if it works for you, it works for you. But I do think that, you know, having a a set sleeping schedule does help the majority of people with, you know, just common living. Mm. (laughs) But I know I am fairly weird in that sense of of having such an early, early sleeping time. But we do get up at 5 a.m., so, you know, it's still that seven, eight hours of sleep every night. So we just kind of have a yeah. bit of an earlier clock. We, we joke that we're like an old grandma and grandpa. <laughs> cool. Uh, I think we'll talk about that personal life playbooks maybe mm. later. But also, um, actually, we, get, we structured that uh, podcast that we can think and talk about playbooks uh, from two different perspectives, mm. the work perspective or projects and personal life. Yeah. So can you quickly walk us through your professional career, where it started and what are you doing right now? And maybe if you can give us some examples or your thoughts on what kind of playbooks do you have uh, on work? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, so I have a very different playbook for work life and then kind of a more relaxed playbook, I would say, for personal life. And I think that's interesting for each person to kind of separate or or have the same thing, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you're, you are the company, for example. I think those sometimes can be a bit harder to distinguish. But for me, being a team coach and lecturer at Karale University of Applied Sciences, it's a very specific identity for me. But mm. then in my personal life, I'm Rick. You know, and so uh, my playbook for my work life is always related to the work that I do because I have a very specific goal for that. So the playbook has to, you know, focus on what is the goal mm. of, of that scenario, i.e. winning the game, what is winning the game, uh, especially in, in professional life. You know, uh, typically, you know, payday is a nice, you know, uh, time <laughs> time of the month, uh, which is today actually, uh, as, we're reco- as we're recording this. <laughs> Uh, but I don't think that that's, you know, a driving force for me. And I think very commonly if that's the pure motivation for anything professional, meaning money, it typically doesn't, personally, it doesn't sustain very long because you'll always want more money or, you know, other things that are very materialistic. So for me, working as a team coach, my playbook's end goal is to encourage and have our team entrepreneurs 
actually find their passion or their goal that they want to achieve. And I've just been a small part in helping them figure out that route and then them becoming so independent that they don't need us anymore, which is, you know, our hope by the end of the, by the time that they're, you know, graduating. So mm. the less I see some of my students by the end of their, their studies, it's typically a good thing. Yeah. All um. right. All right. And as soon as I understood, you also worked at Karelia before, like as a project manager and project yeah. coordinator. What kind of playbooks can you, or what kind of rules maybe you saw people or teams use in order to like achieve certain goals or in order to, you know, cooperate without friction in teams? Have you, have you seen any rules or maybe? Yeah. So that's like a double question on top of the, the original question that I realized I didn't answer fully either, which is work experience. Uh, so currently being, being a lecturer and team coach at Karelia, but uh, at the same time, I do still work in projects. So mm-hmm. I, I still do work as a project expert in, in specific projects. Uh, but previous to to team coaching, that was like the, my, my, my main job at Karelia is working in projects. And so what that means is, is they're typically EU-funded projects. So we apply for them at the university, either at a singular level, which means that Karelia is the sole uh, applier for the funds, or then joint, which is typically more common. So you'll have other organizations, for example, very common here in, in Joensu is having either Business Joensu or University of Eastern Finland be as some form of partner. Mm-hmm. But then we also have national partners from different universities all throughout Finland or organizations. And then we even have international projects, uh, which I actually currently work in. Uh, on an international project where we have partners from Sweden and Ireland. So uh, that requires different playbooks in a sense as mm. well. When you're working with different teams, again, that e- each playbook has to be specific to that goal and to that project that you're you're focusing on. But even before then, you know, uh, I've had work experience in customer relations and I've worked at hotels and reception and, and waitressing and, and fine dining. And then, you know, I've, even when I used to live in the U.S., I worked as a, as a receptionist in a car dealership. So oh. that's its own, own kind of culture. Uh, so I think all of those different work experiences, again, saying that I kind of found my own identity mid-20s because I already had some kind of background to reference and say, okay, that worked for me, that didn't work for me. Why didn't that work for me? And why did this work for me? And how can I adapt that then to my future projects where depending on what it is, I'm still able to use this thing that I know that I do well or I'm able to showcase and then just adapt it depending on the project. Very interesting because it must be a really nice thing to have such uh, like colorful background because it has been able to give you the tools to really reflect and define your own playbook mm-hmm. in your work yeah. life and um, personal life. So that's a really like good thing to have. Yeah, and the more varied anyone's experience, the more enlightened anyone is because the more experiences you have and the, you know, either be it multidisciplinary or multicultural, they always give you a completely different viewpoint on the same thing, basically. So you have some some problem that you're trying to solve. And then, for example, on international EU projects that we have, you know, they have different solutions. And then you kind of think, okay, that worked for them 
because of this? And then can we use that knowledge and those skills and then adopt them in a different way that then benefits our customers and our users here? Do you think that teams or actually yeah, teams should like actually think or shape that uh, playbooks? Like, oh, definitely. Let, let, let's like sit together and now we'll discuss all the rules or maybe strategies we can play and let's like write them down and then we have the document to Google mm-hmm. Docs or whatever it is uh, somewhere so we can come back to it and see. Or Yeah, I mean, there's different words for it. Uh, that's one of the main things that we we coach our business academy teams to do because we do have multidisciplinary teams. So that means that we have students from different educational backgrounds in the teams, which means they have a completely different viewpoint on specific things. So in Finnish, which is um, a team document basically where they go over similar things like this of how how do we work in our team mm. and what are our strengths what are our weaknesses how how are we going to now work for the next two and two and a half years and i think that's something that is is essential for any team to actually function is people have to know what other people are doing or what is the goal of other people so if we go back to that sports reference if you have, you know, an American football team and, you know, the quarterback is doing one thing, but then, uh, you know, the linebacker is doing a completely different play, then nothing works out, mm. even though they're all skilled. So kind of having that goalpost of like, what is everyone doing? How is everyone participating in this that we as a team get to the end goal? And I think that that has to do with any kind of work environment as well. For example, in our our projects that we we work on, we have uh, a project plan, which, you know, is a part of the application that when you apply for the funding and that is used as kind of a playbook of these are the things that need to get done, but then you as a team have to decide, well, how do you implement it? How do you, you know, add the meat to the bones of this, this plan in a sense of you being able to actually achieve it? So each team has to, we typically have, you know, a project manager or a project project expert and project coordinator. Those are like our main three titles that we use, but they're kind of interchangeable depending on on the project. Sometimes uh, there's one person in the project who does all of it. And then sometimes you might even have, you know, seven people in a project who all have different titles and do different things. So if you, especially if you have an international team, or, you know, multiple people in your team, you have to kind of know what is everyone doing, not micromanaging where, you know, every single email needs to be <laughs> approved by by the project manager, but in the sense of how are people getting to that goal? And, and for example, does someone need help with something? Again, going back to the, the sports reference, that if you see that someone's lacking in, for example, running really quickly to get, to where they need to be, then, you know, the coach, it's the job of the coach to kind of figure out, okay, how can we strengthen that, that skill that you're better able to, to do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I I do agree that having some sort of playbook in team is very essential to get the kind of all, all the skills, all the power, all the energy from crew members. Because like you said, there are many 
types of people. And also I want, want to kind of add, like, there are also many types of personalities, like the way mm-hmm. we communicate, like, you know, let's say there are people who are very, very silent. There are people who talk a lot, are very, like, loud and kind of take the air out of the conversation. So maybe even, like, communication maybe we need rules on those that like how do we bring the voice of the more silent people and and the voice of those bit more (laughs) loud people yeah and i think that showcases a good leadership style depending on your team is it you know the project manager or is it someone who's a team leader that that just depends on how the team themselves decide on you know what is the title for example but it's it's extremely important that someone is able to kind of see the whole picture and then navigate it, if, if I'm making sense. In a sense, for example, in our business academy, uh, me and my colleague Harry, we work as a team. So we coach uh, two teams at the moment and we kind of look at the big picture. So we work as team coaches in the sense the students themselves have their own co-op, so they have their own business. We can't tell them what to do, but we can coach them Mm. if we can clearly see, hey, this is the project that you guys have decided now to take on, and there are these certain things that you guys are going to do, but then have you thought about, for example, this and this and this? So we kind of try, highlight try, uh, to get the students to understand the big picture. So I think that's one of our main main goals is to kind of understand as well what the students, what are their goals? And then how can we help them achieve them without, you know, we, we try as hard as we can to not tell students what they need to do. And, mm. and sometimes that's extremely difficult. Um, so... As coaches, you've probably introduced them, you know, a little bit about, you know, you could apply this kind of rules and playbooks into your team. Like, um, a question is that how receptive, like, in your experience, fresh teams are using to compare to teams with more experience to playbook? So do they kind of take it easily, the playbook idea, or...? Uh, depends on the student. <laughs> I mean, people are all different. And I think that's one of the joys of, of, you know, being a team coach is that regardless of whatever team you get, it's just a group of individuals and, you know, everyone is different. And so some people in general, they enjoy getting feedback. They enjoy hearing everyone's opinion and then basing their own opinion based on other people's opinion. And then there are some who are just so headstrong that they refuse to take any kind of advice from anyone, regardless of background or experience or insight. And it's just a juggling act to kind of how do I as a coach understand my players in that sense of, of the, the team the team players that I have, they all require a different type of coaching And I think that's something that's sometimes difficult is you want to treat everyone equally, but actually you have to treat everyone different to be equal in in that sense that, you know, because everyone needs something different from you. And so you kind of try and and figure it out. And I think that's one of the joys of this this first spring, typically, uh, when the new team is formed in the beginning of January, that the spring is, is the students getting to know each other as well as 
us getting to know them. And then I think after that first spring, it's a lot easier to kind of then understand, okay, I can coach that person in this way, but then this other one needs a bit of a different, you know, mm. way of doing it. Mm. What is the right moment to start like developing the playbook? For example, if January a new team just started studying in business academy, is that the right point to do that? And then maybe gradually improve that as new situations uh, occurs? We have the very beginning of once new students come to business academy, they have very... I don't want to say typical, but very typical kind of orientation stuff for the beginning time, just getting them accustomed to studying in a completely different way than what they're mainly used to. And then I would say about a month in is when they get put into their own co-op teams. Uh, I think this year it was the end of, it was before the end of January. So we were a bit early this year in putting them into their teams And then once the team kind of starts to get to know each other on a more individual level, then we kind of do have certain methods where we try and quick start mm. their thinking of the kind of playbook in, in quotes. So so what we use, again, is this theme in, in Finnish, which is this team contract. So they they have to finish that at a specific point. And currently, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head, uh, each team has to have their their kind of playbook done uh, by the end of this month. So we're in February right now. So they have about a month to figure figure it out. But then that's the first draft. So that's kind of like their starting off point. That's what they're going to do this spring. And typically we'll kind of look at again in the fall or maybe the next spring. So after they've gotten to know better, have some projects, you know, done some work, have some failures, have some success, and then they kind of revamp their their playbook. So I think that's one of those things that everyone individually has to decide uh, in their professional life or in their personal life, how often do they, you know, revamp their their playbook. If Again, when the situation changed, when the plays change, when you're competitor again in quotes is is different how do you adapt your your playbook so and i i think all of that is again i'm going to keep saying adapt so many times during this podcast but you know n- nothing is set in stone in the sense mm. of you know every situation every person has a different experience and and how they adapt to things so that has to be you know kept in the mind that there's always exceptions to exceptions to exceptions mm. Has there, like, when you have been trying to get them used to applying a playbook, has there been any time when it's, like, too fast for a team or, or like, it's too pushed on them, like, like they don't need the playbook at the time and what happens? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, just having teams get used to the idea of discussing it. So they ha- they, they discuss it and they have to put something onto paper or in this world it's digital, but, you know, uh, so it helps them have some kind of direction. And again, we update them or the teams update them when needed. So again, when, you know, there's more experience and, you know, you have some history with the team, you have projects, then it's easier to then update the playbook in the future because you already have some 
kind of skeleton to it and then you just keep adding on to it. So I don't think that maybe if the the very first week that they come here and they have no idea what they're doing, I don't think that's probably the smartest time to to have them create a playbook. But I think in general, once you kind of create a team, for example, in our EU project projects, one of the first meetings that we do uh, once we get funding is the team that is working on it. If we already have the team, uh, sometimes we have to do recruitment. So, but I'm talking about the time when we have our set team, we know who's going to be working on this project. And typically those projects last from six months to three years. So those first meetings are just going through the project plan, the one that was applied, you know, you applied to get the funding and you go through it together to figure out that everyone understands the plan at least in some way the same. Or, you know, obviously techniques or methods of how do we implement it can change and they adapt depending on on the time during the project. So your understanding of how we adapt this plan for now might be different in a year because the world circumstances are different. For example, we had, you know, quite a few projects that started in the spring of 2020 and not a lot of them went exactly to plan. And then... But, you know, you still want all of your teammates to understand at least where you're trying to go to. So so we meet up, you know, the, the very first meetings are just going over the plan and figuring out how do we then create our own playbook. And that that can include, you know, doing Gantt timelines of who is doing what, when are they doing. That can easily be done in a month version, especially if you have a three-year project. It can be done in seasons in a sense of, of fall of 2021 and spring of 2022, you know, this, or if it's a shorter project, it can easily be on a weekly basis. Mm. I haven't been in a project where it's any daily basis. I think that kind of goes into micromanaging. Uh, it's more so kind of if we have a deadline by the end of April for our report, well, that means we have to have interviews done by the end of February, for example. I mean, and then so that just helps understand who is doing what and when. I think that maybe in the beginning, it's more important to have these kind of rules or on communications. How mm. do we communicate? For example, studying in, in Business Academy, I understood the importance of, for example, speaking, like what do we actually think? And if you feel discomfortable, uh, just say that. Mm-hmm. But if in the beginning, when uh, our team was kind of formed, we did not discuss that it's possible to speak like, what do you think, what do you feel actually, then it might be not so obvious that you can do that. And I think in our team, we had some kind of situations where people didn't like actually open their feelings and mm-hmm. that caused some maybe challenges. Yeah. So it's important to like just say, no, you can just say what you think. If you can feel discomfortable, just do that. Then like come to me or come to another person to say that in the beginning. But then when team actually started working on something and it goes to more technical stuff like how do we actually send documents where do we share how do we share them where do we store them then it gets more like technical and mm-hmm. strategic maybe for example like while working on uh, on our app with my brother uh, I actually understood the importance of playbook working remotely on some project because if you do not have any playbooks you don't have any like set of rules how do we share files for example mm-hmm. it's like how you have to all, all the time you have to discuss that I send you that and I'll send you that and I comment on that. That's stupid. So now we have certain kind of workflows. How do we do stuff? 
for example, when I have to test the app, so my brother sends me the kind of build, it's called build. So it's, it's the draft version of the mm-hmm. app, and I have to test that. So he sends me that. Actually, you know, he sends in our cloud, and then I get a notification, then I run some tests again, and I uh, have some summary, and then I, I send the summary to him, and then he goes check all the report I, I've done. Mm-hmm. So. That kind of workflows, but it takes time to understand what should be developed and in 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 which in which way. Yeah, and I think that has to do with experience as well. Mm. I I think well, I've been at Karelia now for about five years, uh, where four of them have mainly been in working in EU projects, which are very project oriented. I mean, <laughs> or, or you know, project work where where you work in different teams, and each team is different. As I said during the same year, having multiple different projects that you work on simultaneously and different teams, you work in a different way depending on the team because that playbook has to apply to that team and that goal that you're you're going towards. And I can say that if we I had a project that started at the beginning of next month, I would be much more prepared for it now than I was three years ago. Mm. You know, and I think that has just in general experience and probably for you, Andre, when when you create apps in the future, which I'm sure you will, you'll have a much better understanding of those kind of internal mm. processes as yep. well of what needs to be figured out in the very beginning and, and having that kind of communication of whoever your team is in the future of, okay, documents, we are going to work with them in this way. And all communication is done via XYZ. Mm. And, and I think just having kind of that understanding and and background helps in in future projects but again every project is different especially in international ones because communication devices are different uh, we had or i worked as a project manager on wellness tourism themed uh, project which was in conjunction with russian partners and that started right in the spring of 2020. So you can imagine that we were supposed to go there for our very first meeting to go over over the project and that wasn't possible for us to go there. So everything was online, but then realizing that, you know, certain technical devices or applications weren't used the same way that we use them here. Mm. And so then having that communication of what works for everyone, how do we get mm. everyone kind of like around the same table in a sense. And so even if you're used to, let's say, using Microsoft Teams, but then someone else uses Zoom. And then it's one of those, okay, well, which one adopts the other platform in a sense? Or or do we figure out a third one that everyone has to adopt a new new system? And then obviously as much as I think most of those applications are fairly similar to each other uh, in how they work, but there are nuances to them and some people need a lot more time to figure it out, even if you have kind of a, a filing system in a sense mm. uh, in the cloud. But then how do you do or how do you uh, send instant messages versus emails? You know, all those things. And that just takes time and and you kind of, again, learn via mistakes if, if something doesn't go through. Someone likes using WhatsApp and then, but someone likes using Slack and then someone likes using you know, messenger from Facebook, you know, it, it's very, very interesting to kind of get a new project, get a new team, and then 
that beginning time is, is again, figuring out the team's playbook. That was like very interesting when you brought up brought the thing about like how it like when you have to apply a playbook and you mm-hmm. have like different parties or um, people there applying the playbook ki- and you know making those compromises it's so cool because it kind of forces you to collaborate and kind of team up more like you oh like, definitely yeah that's like a really cool thing because if you don't do like andre said previously you don't talk about stuff and then when we actually do something then everything all the possible problems then they come up like or later on then it might cause you know negative feelings like if you don't talk about them and then they come later on Mm -hmm. yeah and I going back to coaching our our business academy teams that is a very common kind of I, I think students are scared I think that's quite a strong word but in the sense of of voicing their opinion and I think in general most people kind of want to scope the situation before they're very vocal about things. And I think that's very natural. I'm a very loud mouth in general. And so for me, it's not very difficult to kind of speak up. Sometimes it's a good thing for me to sometimes be quiet, which I have learned again as a, as a team coach. You know, I, I attempt to try and have the students talk more than me, which typically works out. Um, again, I, I learn something new every day. And I try to, at least, And that is also, I think, quite Finnish is this being reserved, uh, being overly polite, I would say, to a degree. Um, It's getting better in the sense, and I think having very international networks in general, you know, having streaming services where you look at content more than just what you're used to, you know, now now you're able to look at so much content from all over the world, not just, you know, the UK or, or US, but uh, where you kind of might learn different skills just even through that, of, of watching other people act in a different way. And, but I, I, I do see stereotypically and anecdotally my own personal experience that that Finnish students do tend to be a bit more reserved until they get to know you. So, or Finnish people in general, you know, the, the very stereotypical saying that, you know, get a beer and a Finnish person and they'll become your best friend, uh, that then they'll start speaking. And I think that that still is valid to a degree. Um, but if I compare it to my own upbringing in the US, there, the education system highlights more so individual thoughts and, you know, everyone is special. Everyone has, you know, their own voice. And, and I think there from a very young age, you're taught that you're allowed to have your own opinions. I mean, the first amendment is freedom of speech, which is like the pure core of of the U.S. in a sense that everyone has the right to an opinion, sometimes a bit too much, uh, you know, uh, sometimes. But that's a very stark difference, very, very, you know, glossing over any nuance. But um, th- that's something that I, that I do see culturally is very different. Mm. There, so in the U.S., I do 
see people being much more open with their very differentiating opinions regardless of situation much more openly than, for example, in Finland. But again, it depending on the situation and depending on where you are, but, you know, kind of generalization in, in this aspect as well. But I think what would help in like, like if we could take the perks of, you know, the way of how USA people like, you know, bring their uh, opinions here in Finland, hopefully we get that more. Would it help like if you bring this problem and like tell, tell this like when you guys have the new teams here like what problems causes when people are being you know too polite they don't bring their opinions to you early on so if you bring all your opinions early on and you're polite about it then it helps yeah you know, like forming the playbook and applying it so on because we have the problem people don't say the things they think and then it causes problem in the future we do attempt to try and and or I uh, attempt to try and always ask what are you thinking or what's your opinion? And I think that's one of my coaching philosophies is is quite American in the sense of I, to an annoying degree, sometimes I, you know, try and get students to talk more than probably what they sometimes want to, but at the end they seem to be very happy about it. And... I think that mentality mentality is changing a bit, and I try and and coach my teams in a in a way that there's trust because you can't have open communication, true open communication without trust. Hmm. And I think voicing a differentiating opinion, if you trust that person, you're willing to listen to their opinion and then possibly, change your mind or come to a compromise. And so we try and focus on trust building in the team because once you have that, regardless of of your culture, be it, you know, uh, an American or, or, or Finn, I can see that in my teams that once the team actually trusts each other, they're much more open and communicating even the smallest things. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think trust is really essential, mm-hmm. essential part of teamwork, but how can you build trust? Like, how that happens? Well, one, you have to be open to it. If if you as an individual just have the mentality of, like, I'm not going to trust a single person on my team or be it in mm-hmm. workplace, my coworkers, or, you know, in your studies, if you have a group project, isn't that the greatest, that you have a group and then no one does anything and you have to do everything? So everyone has to have the mindset of, I'm going to allow trust to be built. And if you don't have that, then you're not going to have a functioning team. Mm. And there's different, and I, and I try and highlight as well that you don't have to like everyone on your team. And that goes into any kind of team, be it sports or work life or student life. But you have to be able to trust them to do their job, especially in, you know, working life, generally speaking, the majority of people are paid th- similarly, especially in Finland. I mean, we, we especially have uh, this TES, um, so I'm trying to think what it, a unionized kind of uh, salary. So there isn't much deviation in, in salary. So in that sense that everyone is getting a similar-ish uh, 
pay for the same job. So you have to, as an individual, just believe that or, or allow that trust to be built. And then obviously if things don't happen the way the team has decided or things don't go as planned, and then if you can't build that trust or if that trust has been broken, then that's where you kind of have intermediaries. So you have, you know, for example, in our in our teams, the coaches would come in. And then, you know, you have a complete team meeting with the team coaches and say, hey, this isn't working and we need to figure it out. And then you kind of work on what are the problems that the team's not trusting each other. And then that's kind of where the coach's job is to facilitate that discussion and that safe environment where we kind of chimp up the the people in the teams to speak more openly because there's that trust as well with us as coaches that we are willing to listen to everyone's viewpoint and everyone's opinion and then kind of facilitate that discussion in a safe environment. And I think that's very important that our team teams need to trust us as well. Mm. And in different working life, for example, in our in our projects, in the the EU projects, if the project's not going to plan or there are problems with communication or anything like that, then everyone has a supervisor or, you know, someone higher up that or intermediaries that you're able to kind of say, hey, this isn't working or we have to report, for example, to our financers. So depending on the project, you know, they're typically about six months. So every six months we have to do a report of what we've done and basically kind of how we've done them and how does it relate to that playbook or that, you know, project plan. And then they sometimes decide that they're not going to give you money if you didn't do it according to the plan. And then, you know, that's a big thing if you don't get the money and then you kind of have to really figure out why is this team not working. Thankfully, those don't happen often, but, you know, there are ways and kind of um, these kind of systems in place that we can use or outside people use to kind of make sure that teams then then go forward. But again, you don't have to like everybody, but mm. you have to trust them to do their work. Uh, when we were speaking about project management, I somehow thought that it's a project manager or project coordinator, coordinator job to make sure that there is a playbook and everyone is kind of following it. But now when we're speaking about trust, I somehow feel that it's kind of everyone's job to like be part of that process of uh, shaping the playbook and uh, uh, developing it. What do you think? Who, who is, like, is there any responsible person or is the whole team or the whole organization responsible for, for following? And well, my, my personal philosophy is everyone who's a part of the team is responsible, at least for their share of, of the project. Uh, but if we're speaking technically uh, in the projects, I've been the project manager still holds kind of the the strings yeah. to the project. So they typically will be the ones who are in contact with, for example, the financier or, you know, other organizations or lead partners, et cetera. Uh, but sometimes, you know, a project expert or coordinator might do some communication. It depends on the team and what those rules in the playbook are for that. But to some degree, the the project manager is kind of, in quotes, responsible, but I do think that anyone working on anything, people have to take responsibility for their 
their part in the bigger picture because regardless of what job anyone is doing, everyone has an important role in whatever company that they're working on or any business. And typically, if someone isn't doing a specific job, the whole thing's not working how it's supposed to. There's a reason why people are employed. You know, everyone is doing a very specific job typically. And organizations function better when everyone kind of knows the bigger playbook, kind of like what are other people doing, but also what is my role in this bigger picture and how does my work affect other people? And I think that's where personal responsibility comes in of saying if I don't show up, it affects quite a lot of people. Mm -hmm. For example, me not showing up for work, of course people are sick, people have things that come up and that's completely fine, but I'm talking like bigger picture not showing up. I have two teams that I co you know coach with with my working partner and then I have, you know, an EU project that I work on that has a di- different team and I have now in the spring a teaching course that I'm a co-teacher or lecturer on. And so if I don't show up, it affects all of those people. Mm. And even if those other people can take the slack and do that extra work, they are they have to do then extra work because I didn't show up. I didn't do my part. And so even if the company or the organization is able to function for a short period of time, it's not able to long-term function if you consistently make it that other people then have to take up your slack. Also, I was thinking about like if you like if we go back to like if you don't show up in for your teams, it also like affects everything. Mm-hmm. And what came into my mind is like the appreciation. So if you don't show up, it's isn't that kind of signal like you're not like important enough for me to show up yep. so that breaks the appreciation then also people start to trust you less like okay Rika is not going to show up I'm yeah. just going to be with my problems all alone and so yeah, on exactly and workflow you and don't. I think that's one of the ways that you build trust is is you show up and or if you're not able to do something be it you know you have a, a personal reason why you can't or you have an unexpected thing It's a big thing that you inform other people. And if it's a legitimate reason, are you able to kind of explain it in a way that others understand? But then if it's continuous, if every single time you don't show up and, you know, a minute before the meeting starts, you send a message saying, hey, my car's stuck. You know, it's like, well, should you have left maybe half an hour earlier? So I I think that there's a level of, of trust building in that sense of, Of course, if if you're not able to commit, then you vocalize that and and share that with your other teammates, and then kind of come up with a joint plan on on how to kind of fix that gap that's then missing, and just showing up like that's a big big trust builder. Is if you say you're going to do something, or you take responsibility for something, or you have weekly things that everyone does, and you commit to to being a part of that. Has there any time been a time when uh, someone has, you know, broken the trust of the team? So 
that affects team's performance, but how can that be fixed? Mm. Can it be fixed? Like if it, of course, like, any anything can be fixed, and I think one of the the main things is communication. I mean, and understanding, and that's one of those things that you have to be open to admitting that you did something wrong. If now we're talking about if if someone broke that trust, they have to first admit that they did something wrong and then and then figure out through communication with the team of how you're going to fix that. And that might mean that it's going to take time to build that trust back, but then you you know make make a plan on how how you're going to do that or or then if if there are situations where you have no interest in in fixing that solution then that requires other internal discussions for example i've been in in projects where i've come in mid project because there's been staff changes mm. and i've come in because things haven't worked out or there's been changes in in staff just in general and that requires trust building as well as coming as in a in quotes outsider into a project that is already or a team that is already functioning in a sense mm-hmm. and has their own playbook. So then you have to kind of figure out as the outsider, how do I fit into this scenario or what's the background with this this scenario that I have now come into this? And that's kind of like the extreme version of it is then, and if we go back to sports, you know, if you have someone in the team that doesn't work, typically they get fired mm. or get kicked off the team. I mean, mm. <laughs> and... Those are discussions that need to be be held in the bigger picture question. And that, again, is, you know, you have supervisors, you have head coaches, or you have team owners who, who then make those decisions of do we swap up the teams, et cetera. But thankfully we haven't had any of those kind of things that in, in the business academy sense that, you know, horrible, you know, Trust breaking. <laughs> mm. uh, one example comes to my mind when I'm speaking about uh, not in trust actually, but I think that the ideal maybe level of having that playbook developed is when in sports teams, when let's imagine there is a play or a game and someone is throwing the ball and other person, our team member, kind of have that intuition that where the ball will come because you like trust that person mm-hmm. and they play it so much together that they kind of have that synchronization yeah. at almost intuitional level. And that's where like teamwork comes into that. Sometimes you do take up the slack or you do, you know, figure out, oh, that person is planning this and then if I do this, then it'll advance mm. the play forward or the project forward. And I think that's when you have a, a truly trusting team because Again, you understand what everyone is doing, and then you trust the other people be be doing what they're doing. That you get to the end goal. Yeah, that's really really cool. Like if you're like you have been becoming a so good team that's able to well use the playbook according to their own needs. If they're able to predict stuff, that's like in my opinion a really good sign. Mm-hmm. Like from not just the team leader but every team member. Like what. Are we going to probably do as a team when we have this problem coming up? And those are typically the the best teams as well that are able to internally be able to do that. Not the the head coach or or team coaches or whatnot telling them or guiding them in what they're supposed to do, but you know they the teammates themselves have the play, so they know what they're doing. But then the actual doing it, they kind of instinctually 
kind of figure out what everyone else is doing. And if I do this, then that advances mm. the, you know, the ball to the, the scoreboard or whatever. I'm, I'm actually really bad at sports analogies and I'm surprised <laughs> that we have so many. Uh, I, I personally do much more individual sports, which is pretty funny that I, I'm not a big fan of team sports to participate in personally, which is actually pretty, pretty funny. I think actually that might be a good spot shift to the the kind of next subtopic, which is yeah. personal life. What do you think? So um, I think uh, Rika is the person that has the strictest work-life balance I know. And it's really, <laughs> really interesting. So my question is like, what kind of work-life balance do you have? What, what kind of playbook do you have? And why do you think it's important to have that kind of playbook for work-life balance? Again, I'm going to preface this with saying this is only my version that works for me and as Andre said it's very strict and it's because it works for me uh, and it is in no way kind of like a guide to other people to to follow it but uh, I comp- compartmentalize things quite a bit. So, what do you mean by that? Uh, well I'll kind of go back so when I was studying Uh, for the hospitality and hotel management degree here at Karelia. Uh, I also worked at the hotel at Koli. So it's about 75 kilometers from Joensuu, uh, which, you know, is a bit of a drive. And so that's when I started to really focus on work life, home life, and school life. And so what I meant by that is... When I was at work, I focused on work. So I worked in the hotel, uh, mainly in the uh, <clears throat> restaurant there, but I also worked at reception and sometimes I even helped out in other departments if they needed to. But I didn't want to think about you know work school projects or something when I'm at work because I'm being paid to do a job and I was doing that job. And so when I would be studying or in class, I didn't want to think about work stuff or home stuff. I wanted to focus on studies. And so I compartmentalized it in a sense that I only did schoolwork at the university. So I would go actually to the physical building of the university. This is obviously way before COVID. And so during lectures, I would focus only on the lectures and my notes. And then I would stay at the university to do, for example, homework. And then when I would drive to work at Koli, it was a nice 75-kilometer, you know, break where I kind of refocused on what I'm going to be doing. And then the same thing is when I would drive home after a shift, I would kind of, I don't want to say detox, but kind of like (laughs) detox from that work. And then when I was at home, I actually was able to sleep better I had more energy when I was seeing friends because I wasn't thinking about schoolwork or, you know, work stuff because I was able to actually be in the moment and enjoy that time that I was focused on. So in my free time, I was able to enjoy my free time, not worry about, you know, a homework that I needed to do because I had scheduled going into the university, you know, two hours before a lecture to work on projects. And because I had scheduled doing certain work, I knew that I would get it done because I had that time to get it done. And that means that I also didn't leave it to last minute to get stuff done. I pre, you know, planned maybe for a certain report, I planned three hours, but it only took me an hour 
and I still used that extra two hours ten, then to do other schoolwork. It wasn't, yes, free time, I'm going to leave earlier. It's, no, I have scheduled this time. I'm going to utilize it how I have planned, and then that will free up possibly in the following weeks to either take an additional shift if I get asked to work or I can hang out with friends because I was able to get you know my work done on time or even early, and then that frees up time from future things. And so that required quite a lot of micromanaging time, very, very specifically. And I was very conscious of that. And that was a way that I was able to balance all of those three things. And I was able to graduate early. And so that was one of my goals and I was able to achieve it because I scheduled it for myself. And I also was able to get help from, you know, other teachers and, you know, other <laughs> friends who understood that if I'm working, I'm not hanging out with mm. them, et cetera, you know. Uh, but it was fairly hectic, I must say. Um, I don't think it's very sustainable, you know, having that much where you don't have any kind of leeway. But because I knew it was only for a specific time until I graduated, then, you know, people are able to do quite a bit uh, even over their limit if they know it's only for a specific time. And so, because I knew I would be graduating or my goal was to graduate by this X date, then it means that I was very meticulous in knowing what I had to do to be able to achieve that. Uh, and so I noticed that I benefited from not stressing about schoolwork or work life in my free time when I did that. And so then when I changed jobs and I actually came to the university to work, I wanted to maintain for myself a separation of work and personal life. And that doesn't mean that I don't talk about like during coffee breaks, we'll, you know, chat with coworkers about, you know, what people did during the weekend and stuff. I'm not talking about that, but the idea of I don't bring personal worries, for example, to work. Like I am here to do a job. Of course, people have bad days, but it shouldn't affect your job to a degree where you're not able to do your job. Then there are other avenues that allow for help to be, you know, given if, if that's needed. And I think people are getting more common or people are um, more introspective nowadays in, in understanding when, when they might need outside help in, in certain things in balancing their time. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I quite enjoy cycling to work is it prepares me for the day. Typically before I leave to cycle, I will look at my schedule for the upcoming day and kind of see what meetings or what classes I have to teach or coach, depending if I'm at the, the academy here. And when I cycle to work, I'm preparing mentally for that day. And then when I leave from work, that cycling back home, I kind of, again, you know, detox from the day <laughs> in that sense of I have done everything today that I was meant to do. So sometimes I'll stay here, you know, at the academy and work on stuff on my computer. And, you know, typically I attempt to do all of my work stuff now working from home because it's 
much more common and half of my time I do work from home. There is a bit of a, of a separation or not a separation, a, b- a bit more kind of this gray area, but I have an office that has a door. And so I shut the door when I'm not, you know, focused on work things. So I have my computer and my phone in there, my work phone. And so that kind of mentally shuts that day, day away. And for me, I think it is important personally to enjoy my, my free time. So those evenings or weekends or holidays. And I find that I'm a much better employee when I've been able to enjoy my free time without worrying about work stuff. And that's one of the first things that I tell my students or my teams that I coach is that I wish that you respect my time, my office times, and I will respect yours. And what I mean by that is that I am available during office hours, which is typically Monday to Friday from, you know, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Typically, I'm already on my computer in the mornings. Uh, I like to kind of look what my day is ahead in the mornings, even if I'm at home, because that prepares me for the, the day to come. So in that sense, I do kind of, you know, do work stuff at home, but it prepares me for the upcoming day. I very rarely will look at my work stuff when I'm at home, when I have gotten home, or once I've ended my day from working at home days. So when that when that door is shut, then, you know, that work is done. I've done everything uh, enough and the work can wait till tomorrow. Because the majority of things, no one's able to do everything all the time. Obviously, you have deadlines and you try to achieve them. I try my best to get things done before a deadline because then that allows for these kind of shifts in a, you know, things come up and you have to kind of move things around. So again, going into that scheduling thing of, of I like to plan my work schedule in a way where I fill time to do work that I know that I might have coming up, if that makes sense. So I don't fill my calendar so full where then I have to take work home. So you have been strict about work free time like mm. let's say you have the working Rika and the yeah. <laughs> personal life Rika so do you feel like having the like the strict rules they make you a better you know free time Rika yeah do you feel that? for me yeah definitely I am a lot more organized at work I'm a, a much more particular in a sense uh I'm much more focused and so I can actually focus on the work that I'm doing because in my free time, I'm much more, I, I don't want to say relaxed because I do feel that I'm, I'm pretty relaxed at work as well, but I do have a kind of like a work mode. It's like, I'm here to do a job and I do my job and I'm fairly happy and I, I find that I do a good job at my job. And so why shouldn't I then in my free time, enjoy my free time that allows me to recharge and then that makes me a better person to work, if that makes sense. You have to schedule also the things, your hobbies also, which is yeah. which is quite interesting because 
it might seem like, why should I schedule my hobbies? But for example, me, uh, while I'm, I really like doing some like music, I have not been doing like for maybe two years because mm. I just haven't scheduled that. And especially if you're working on some project you're passionate about, it's like easy to forget that you also can have some free time to do some like fun stuff also. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's important. It goes into that very stereotypical saying of like you have to put the mask on yourself first before you put the mask on someone else in an airplane. If, you know, the oxygen masks come down, mm. you always have to kind of take care of yourself first. And for example, on those hobbies things, I even though I don't really schedule my free time as neurotically as my work life and I, I <laughs> attempt to do the, uh, you know, uh, keep up with that, uh, I do plan or like schedule hobbies in that sense of if I have a reoccurring thing. For example, I do yoga and I go to a studio to do yoga and it's always at the same time every single week. And that's something that I have put even into my work calendar because I don't book it full of then work stuff because I want to keep care of myself. And that's something that I look forward to every week. And once you start looking forward to things, then you end up taking care of yourself more because, you know, you have something that you're planning or you're doing. And I mean, there's statistics that say that a person is their most efficient at work the three months before a holiday Mm. because they're looking so much forward to their holiday that they want to do a really good job at work. And so that's why I think everyone should take a holiday every three months uh, because you always have something to look forward to. But I do think in, you know, kind of smaller aspects, I really look forward to, you know, going to yoga once a week. And that's something that is my time. It forces me to also kind of slow down and calm down. I'm kind of an energy bunny. I like do a lot of things. And so it's one of those things where I have to force myself to, this is just for me. And it really helps me kind of regroup again and then focus on just taking care of myself. I do agree with it that you kind of have to have that kind of um, hobby, a thing that helps you really, really recover from your work life. Like for me, example, it's sauna. Mm. I have like twice a week nowadays on Mondays and on Fridays uh, a sauna I go to polar bear sauna I do the mm-hmm. ice bathing and it's like it's like I do agree like when I'm working I feel like yes well there's my carrot I'm going to the sauna this night mm-hmm. so I'm like really looking forward and if I kind of you know I don't do my school stuff then I'm I know that I don't have time so I might have to do school stuff so it kind of forces me to do all the work before the thing so I don't feel guilty and then yeah it mm. works like a good carrot to yeah. have something to look forward do you have something like that Andre? I also when I'm thinking about work I also thinking about the guys that work all the time mm. like Elon Musk for example I'm not quite sure that I uh, actually I'm sure that uh, his work-life balance is quite unhealthy in terms of uh, domination, uh, because of the domination of the, of the work part of that. But And I, that's why I kind of always feel a little bit guilty when I'm thinking about resting or having a break or especially hobbies, because I, when I'm 
doing this, like running or doing some music or hanging out with friends, I'm not working. And if I'm not working, I'm not going towards my goal, for example. So that made me feel kind of guilty mm. in terms of... If your goal is your job or the app that you're creating, for example, it's understandable that you're spending most of your time focused on that goal. If you think of some professional athlete, the majority of their time is, you know, trading or training or eating correctly and going to games and traveling, etc. That's a, their focus in their life at that point. But for me, I really enjoy my free time. I really, you know, get inspiration in my work from experiences from my free time. Mm. So they're not completely disjointed from each other that they have no overlap, but I don't consciously think about work 24-7 yeah. because I know for me personally, when I'm able to like break off from work mode me and enjoy my free time, I end up kind of picking up the puzzle pieces and then the next day or the following weeks, I figure out, oh, by the way, I had this experience or I had this thought and this puzzle piece all of a sudden then fits into this thing that I was actually working on. And that is kind of how, how life goes. But if someone is motivated on a certain goal, then it's understandable that you just allocate a lot more time into it. Mm. And I think shame is quite a strong feeling for that. And it's something that everyone needs to decide for themselves is what is it that they want. And, you know, I'm perfectly content with my balance and then I work towards maintaining that balance. Mm. And of course there are situations where you have longer days or you have certain events that you need to go to during the weekend or you have meetings with students during the summertime or, you know, outside of office hours type of things. But if you know them in advance and you're able to kind of plan them, then I'm not bothered by them at all. And I know that it's something that's upcoming. Okay, that day I'm going to go visit some students at their their job because we need to have kind of like a, a meeting about it or something, you know. And I think that balance needs to have an acceptance of change as well, if that makes sense. So mm. I'm not that neurotic that, you know, if I hear my work phone ring three times in a row, then I might, you know, go and see like what's actually happening. But then, you know, I also do think that we have gotten too accustomed in general to always being available in general as a society, that everyone is nonstop available. And I do think that personally that has negative effects on on people, be it health or or, you know, mental well being and and such. And I do think that having a bit of a separation from a constant overload of of information or availability does good. Yeah. Uh do you do something like specifically to maintain that balance? You mentioned that, for example, you say, or I don't know what sure it's like, do you, do you say that all the time, but uh, that you inform people working with you that you have that kind of uh, distinguishing between work and life. And mm -hmm. so, do, but do you do some something else to maintain that balance? Well, I don't look at my phone. 
that that's like or my emails. That's that's an actual clear thing of I know in past I've had coworkers who say, "Oh, they're not, you know, available in the evenings or in the weekends." And okay, fine, but then they'll respond at midnight to some email that you sent, you know, earlier in the day that they haven't gotten to it until that time. And I think that's one of those things that okay, if I have that rule for myself or that, you know, uh, playbook sense, then I just don't send the email. I'll, I'll send it in the morning mm. or, you know, and it's those routines to yourself of how do you shut down that dopamine kick in your brain when you hear a notification or do you turn them off? Do you, you know, shut the door and you don't respond to it or do you let it ring and you're just like, nope, not going to answer that. Um, it, it takes, that self-responsibility of like if those are your goals how do you actually then act on them not just saying them but actually doing it so my my main one is the majority of the time I don't look at my phone or my computer after a specific time unless I know that I'm waiting for a response to something that is you know urgent or or needs Mm. to have some kind of but in general um same goes for the weekend but I also do look at it, for example, in the morning, so I'm prepared for the upcoming day. So even though in like that, if you if we think about like that, my personal time in the morning, yeah. we'll also look at my work phone because I want to know like mm. what is this day going to be like? Because every day for me is is different, so I don't really have kind of like okay, Wednesdays are like this and Thursdays are like this. It's always kind of like okay, what is what is today today going to do? And then for me, physical activity, sports. Um, those kind of things help me wind down in general just because I know if I'm stressed or if I have something that is bothering me, for example, I have undone work or I'm worried about students or something like that, I know that if I'm, you know, being active, that kind of helps the pent-up stress to reduce itself. So I was saying like I go to yoga once a week, but I also cycle to work. That helps quite a lot. Uh, I also attempt to trail run. Uh, <laughs> attempt. Attempt, yeah. Uh, one foot in front of the other. Uh, method, <laughs> not much speed, but I, I get where I need to be. Uh, and then, you know, different hobbies in, in sports. I like to try new things, and I think kind of that trying new things method in, in anything, reading different books or reading different uh, media sources or viewing different topics. I think those in general, I mean, there's so many documentaries that I watch and then I realize I'm connecting it to work life and that's fine. And I think having grace to yourself of if you realize you're thinking about work things, then you kind of consciously go, okay, why am I thinking about this work Why is it bothering me? Or, you know, and then sometimes if something is just gnawing at me that like keeps coming up, I'll write it on a post-it or sometimes I'll even uh, WhatsApp from my personal phone to my work phone, kind of like a memo type thing. So in the (laughs) morning when I open up my work phone, it's the first thing that like is on the notification going like, hey, this is something that you need to remember to like take care of because... 
of course, everyone has those where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh, that email, I forgot to send that email. And it's like, okay, what do you do? Do you roll around in bed constantly thinking about that email? Do you get up and write that email? Like, what is it, the actual action that you're doing? For me, if I can't instantly fall back asleep, if it is actually bothering me, I'll write it down. So on my bedside table, I have like a little kind of like scrap piece of paper or a pen and it can come up with like anything if it's like home related or work related or anything typically, you know, you know that moment where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just like, it's that thing that I forgot to do or need to remember tomorrow. So it's a nice way of just kind of like scribbling something down and then it's that physical action of writing it down where I find personally that my brain is able to shut off after that going like, okay, it's written down. It's there for the morning. You can now relax again. And that's a really uh, good tip that works for me. Yeah, I do. I have a very, very similar approach. Like when I get these, um, let's say, work-life problems during my free time. And many times I feel that I, in previously, I have done the same thing. Like, I have tried to kind of forget, well, I leave it to my work time, but it still kind of, mm-hmm. you know, bothers me. Like, my brain tries to solve it. So I do the writing thing, and how I do approach it is, like, I have this worry journal or worry dump or mm-hmm. whatever I have. I, I kind of put the, like, case. So, okay, this email is worrying me. Then I put the thing that is, like, the worst fear. Like, what is the worst case scenario that could happen and then I have the solution like how am I going to take the action to take care of Mm. this or possible solution because many times if I just try to not think about it all it just you know runs around in my brain all and all yeah so that has been working for me as well and everything seems worse in the middle of the night yeah (laughs) everything that shadow in the uh you know in the entryway that's like your jacket just there yeah it's a monster (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Andre? Have you had this kind of like worry comes to no? I, I, I don't think so because I think I I'm trying to be always in the work mode, so I, I don't, I don't kind of have this kind of free time, mm. which is probably a bad thing. I don't know, but I notice that when I'm thinking, you know, because try, uh, nowadays I'm trying to implement that one day one project thing. Mm. So I'm working on one project during one day. And I realized that when I have some idea or thought or task that's related to another project, and previously it, it was bothering me. I was like, no, I'm working on that, but I have to do that, and I have to do that. But when you know, well, actually, I can like do that tomorrow, because tomorrow is that Project X day. That's really helped, helped me to concentrate on that thing that I'm working right now. And I think that's the same what you talk. Yeah. And... Uh, also, I just came to my mind, it's, in, it's interesting that how, at least uh, when I was a kid, uh, all the hanging out with friends moments were like people just ringing to your door and saying, I want to hang out. You're mm. like, sure, let's go. But now it's kind of more planned. And I'm like, actually a little bit kind of not angry, but like, mm, while call me or while like want me to do it right now because I'm working. So it's even hanging out with friends or just calling with our friends is more kind of organized when we are adults and we kind of have to plan our plan our time and work in, in, in mm. time. It's interesting. Just. Yeah, but sometimes I feel like the last minute things, like that call that you get from your friend going like, oh, hey, by the way, we're 
around the corner, are you free? And you end up having nothing to do or you can kind of like shift things around where like, yes, definitely. Uh, you know, those, I miss those times where it's like, it's this last minute kind of, mm. or not even last minute, but this kind of like just ad hoc type of mm. like, hey, we're over here, you want to come with or we're doing this and this, like, let's go. Or sometimes even I'll notice the very few times that we due to COVID go out, you know, maybe to a restaurant or go bowling or playing pool or something like that. And then of course you, the first instinct is to put it on social media. And sometimes like the nice thing about that is like, you'll have friends who will go, Oh, by the way, like we're right next door at this other place. Like let's, you know, get together and, and meet up somewhere. So sometimes where I do feel like, oh, I might be on social media too much or I might scroll too much. Sometimes I do enjoy those happenstances of where it's like, oh, you just noticed that your friends at the the restaurant that you like, but then you grab cocktails with them afterwards somewhere else because you happen to be in, in the city as well. So I, I do like kind of that aspect of, I know this kind of went on at a complete tangent on social media, but... <laughs> But it allows for kind of, you know, the possibility for for anything to happen. And I think that's one of the nice things for me, not scheduling everything in my personal life, allowing for kind of like those things to happen mm. where you can kind of just call up someone and be like, hey, are you free? Like, let's go for a walk together or something. Yeah. All right. Uh, so you mentioned social media and you're pretty active in social media. Do you, by the way, just in, interesting... Uh, as you have kind of strict rules, uh, use Instagram, for example, while working or during your work hours? Or do, have, do you like limit yourself? And for example, in the evening when you have a free time and well, you can basically scroll Instagram for three hours, but do you limit that yourself to scroll it for one hour? Yeah, I don't remember the last time I've even scrolled for one hour. So I do limit it in the sense of like, I just check it and then I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. So uh, short attention span. Uh, but my, the main social media accounts I do have private, so I don't have like a, a public following in that sense. And I do find that social media is much more my personal life in that sense. Uh, and well, I think LinkedIn is public for anyone with a LinkedIn profile, but that is kind of like a business style. So yeah. I'm not really bothered by that being, in a sense, public. Um, but for example, I'm trying to think what social media sites I have. I basically have like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, mm. and I think all of them are private. Mm. So only friends can see things or depending on the post, friends of friends. But um, I think if you're on your break, you do what you want with your time. So yeah, I'll scroll social media during my breaks or I might even post something during, you know, technically working hours, but it's during mm. my break. Um, and quite often a lot of my work, especially in the EU projects, they relate to social media in the sense of like a lot of the projects will have their own page or they'll have events. So I need to be promoting things online. Mm. Uh, so I don't find that kind of this, like you can't use social media at work. Like I don't agree with that. And because it is a part of my job in a sense. So like it would feel 
weird that I'm not allowed to scroll my own feed, but I need to post something for a work thing. Like, uh, but I don't think that you need to be, you know, scrolling Facebook for an hour <laughs> or Instagram or whatnot. And so, yeah, I think that in balance as well. Yeah. But I do post uh, work-related things if they are something that I find enjoyable or that, you know, for example, I posted about this podcast uh, or that I'm recording today and that, you know, because uh, I find that just today has been a fun day, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, or is a fun day and, you know, things like that, but it's not like, Every day I'm not posting like, oh, at, at work again. <laughs> like no one wants to look at that either. So, uh, but yeah, I think a, a balance in that as well. And everyone has kind of like their own version of it. But I think like total social media, because on your phone, like you can look up like how much time you spent on certain apps. Uh, definitely like a total amount on social media, like during the day on my phone is probably 30 minutes. Damn, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Not gonna say what's in mine. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe on like weekends it might be more or, you know, if I'm traveling, I'm like putting stories every hour, if not like every half hour of something cool. So, dip it all. But I think like half an hour to an hour, I would say is like a pretty good average of like total social media spends mm. per day. But I don't restrict it. I don't have like a, you know, thing on my phone that says like now you can't be on Instagram anymore. Yeah, you're you're a happy person because I think that uh, people that are slightly younger than you, <laughs> like, like <laughs> nicely me, me, said, <laughs> me, 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 me and Jenny, we are. I, I don't know about Jenny, but I do certainly have that kind of challenge that if I do not on purpose leave it myself. Uh, like to using social media or scrolling YouTube or Instagram, I like can do that like for hours. So, mm. I ha- well, I, of course it depends on what I'm doing, but if I'm kind of got into that hole, then it can last like one hour of just... Yeah. So it's... But I don't know, yeah. uh, in my free time, I do watch a lot of YouTube, but I like watching a lot of like tutorials or like news things. Mm. So I don't know how like YouTube would go into like social media, but I think... Depending on like the content, but I definitely yeah, yeah, have like I definitely sure. have hours of of YouTube typically in the evening, yeah, yeah. especially on weekends. All right, yeah. yeah. But uh, using mobile devices, I started this kind of again going on to very uh, routine uh, or very strict rules, kind of into my own own playbook. Uh, we have a rule at home, so me and my husband, that if we're watching something, regardless of what we're watching we're not on our phone. Hmm. Like we police each other. So typically if we're watching like a TV show or a movie, like the phones are either in the kitchen or on the table or somewhere where it's like, no, you're not, you're not even like by your phone. Uh, the only exception is if we're actually watching TV that has commercials and commercials during the commercial breaks, uh, we're allowed to look at our phone. And so... That has helped in just focusing because mm. I used to think that I'm really good at multitasking. Like I was very proud of myself going like, oh, I can multitask. 
But actually, I really wasn't doing anything really well. It was kind of like, yeah, I'm doing a lot of things, but like none of them are really, really well. And for me, it just works better having specific rules or like a playbook in a sense of, of, but if we happen to watch something that is kind of like, eh, we both agree with like, okay, is this a show that we're allowed to be on our phones at the same time? And we both have to agree. If the other one says like, no, like, no, we're watching this without phones, then we both have to agree, okay, no phones. Mm. But like sometimes like there are certain things where it's like, no, like this is like phone material. All right. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah. I do agree. Like, um, if you want to be strict about something, you need to, like, you know, promise not to yourself. But if you promise something to somebody else, it kind of, you know, forces you to keep that promise, mm -hmm. not just to yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's a good deal. Uh, and in, in, on previous episode of the podcast, we speak uh, with Andy about being present. And I think that can uh, relate to that. So, like, do I understand right that you are not using phones because you want to enjoy that particular moment mm -hmm. of watching the film. And all right, yeah. yeah. And also, like, it's really good that you guys, like, train that focus because I, most of the time, I feel very, very awful when, when if I'm trying to have a time with somebody, you chat, go to a restaurant with them or whatever, but they don't, you know, I don't know, they like attention that much, but I kind of feel awful if uh, 80% of the time it's like they look down under the table. Yeah, sure, Rika, that's so interesting. <laughs> oh my mm. God. <laughs> yeah, a few years ago in the US, there was this trend where you would go out with your friends and you would have like a little basket in the middle of the table and everyone put their phone into the basket And the first person who grabbed their phone had to pay the whole bill. Mm. And so if no one looked at their phone or grabbed their phone during the entire evening uh, until the bill came, then everyone just paid for their own portion of it. And so I think there is like this detoxing mentality, like truly from social media or or from phones. Uh, I It also does help, I must say. I have a smart watch. So I have a polar activity watch that is connected to my phone in the sense that I get calls and WhatsApp messages. Mm. So no social media, but like typically if someone is sending a message on WhatsApp, they're actually like saying something or if someone's calling, then they need to reach me. And my watch will then kind of give me that notification. And so that is something that I've noticed for myself is allowing that balance of I'm not constantly looking at my phone or grabbing my phone. But if I do notice from my from my wrist that, hey, something's come up, I'll just glance at it and see if it's something that I need to react to now or, mm. to, you know, or react to during my break or, you know, answer a call, for yeah. example. But it's a nice way that, you know, for example, if we're watching a movie and my phone is on the kitchen table and all of a sudden I constantly keep getting, you know, messages and notifications, then I, and I look at it and I'm noticing like, oh, I need to actually react to this and we can like pause the movie or, you know, take a break and whatnot. So I think, again, like you have to have balance on it. Mm. And that's just something that I found that that helps me not think about it. And then if I do need to react to it, it's there. And we are, when we are saying balance, it's probably also unique to, to every person. Like, oh, definitely. Is, yeah. yeah and, it, and again, being kind of gracious to oneself that like, not having such strict rules. I know we've been kind of joking around that I have very strict rules, but I think like everyone has moments where, you know, 
it doesn't work out or, you mm. know, you break from it and then that's completely fine. And I think that's one of the first things that you don't get stressed or angry at yourself of going mm. like, oh, we had this rule and now you broke it and you're a horrible person. Like, no, you know, people are human. <laughs> yeah, I actually just yesterday <laughs> talked about this, like, like, When you strike, you don't have to be like, you know, asshole and like such a monster. You can be like how we quote unquote somehow like lovingly strike, like kindly strike. Like you just, you just, if you want to, you know, like you want to separate your work life and personal life, you just say, you just don't bring your personal life problems every time. Maybe sometimes you really need it or work life, work stuff. You don't do it on your free time and so mm. on. It's just like be strict about it. You don't have to be like, yeah. A good advice I've heard probably from Mark Manson, who's mm. the author of the book The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, uh, that was that when you are thinking about yourself and when you're trying to kind of uh, say, you are, uh, why did you not follow the rule? You're a bad person when you have those kind of feelings. Think about how would you. How do you react if your friend would mm. kind of break the rules? Would you say like, yeah, like really stupid shit? Mm. No, probably not. You'll say that's okay. Sure, you can maybe try next time. So why would like why wouldn't be that kind of to yourself also? Yeah, I've also read that book. It's really good. Uh, and another one, if someone is very self-critical, a good tip is to actually write down the things that you're thinking. And read them out loud. Mm. And when you actually read them out loud, be it to yourself or to a friend or whatnot, probably it's good to attempt it first just by yourself. Uh, you realize when you read it out loud how horrible most things people think about, typically themselves. Uh, and then when you realize like what what it is actually written down and said out loud then you start shifting kind of the way you start thinking about things and kind of being more gracious on yourself and not so strict. So even though, again, I have have these kind of routines and whatnot, I don't beat myself over it if, you know, I end up one day thinking like there's no way I want to cycle to work, like I'm going to take the bus, then okay. Like <laughs> it's not the end of the world. Mm. Yeah, I think because if you start to beat yourself too hard, you know, mentally mm. or physically, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of I don't know. You kind of get you label label yourself like oh I'm such a lazy person. Then you get that like tone that sets worse for day maybe mm. for week like oh my god because I didn't uh, follow this rule now my whole week is ruined or something like if you're like more like understanding to yeah I made this rule but I broke this rule but it doesn't affect like the rest of the day like be more understanding and don't beat yourself out mm. from it so it's more constructive exactly in future mm. and everyone has a bad day Like humans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, some days you just really want McDonald's and or deep fried shit. And, you know, it's the best thing that you can have all day. And sometimes that's not something that you need to be eating. But, you know, I, I again, everyone finds that balance for themselves as well. And, you know, I guarantee in five years I will have a completely different playbook. And mm. I think that's something that people need to understand too that like 
if you have a playbook, it doesn't mean like that's the rest of your life. Like this yeah. is how I'm going to live for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. Like no, like situations change and environments change, work changes, and you know you you kind of figure it out every single time again, and then you communicate it with the people who are around you who possibly share the same space with you. Cool. Um, I think we are kind of running out of time, but before we wrap it up. Maybe we can summarize the things that we are we are talked about, and uh, so let's say that like maybe from the project manager perspective right now, let's say that we with my brother want to kind of develop a great playbook that will help us actually achieve the goal. How, in your opinion, as a project manager, maybe, and with all your opinions, we should we should do that and we should approach that. Uh. Your goal is to Let's say, sell uh, your app or yeah, or sell, sell actually our, get it on the marketplace or like what is the actual goal? Let, like start off with that. Uh, the goal is to uh, we want a company that will cost a billion dollars. Okay. When? Let's say in five years. Okay. So then start writing down what is it that you and your brother need to do or what does the company need to do to reach those goals? Mm. at a yearly level, possibly monthly level? And what resources do you have now? And what resources do you need in the future to be able to reach that goal? Are you Mm. able to do it just the two of you? Will you need to recruit people? If you need to recruit people, what special skills do they have to have that complement your team? Or do you want to take kind of like uh, more of a leadership role and someone else is doing the specific role that you're doing now. And that is something that you have to communicate as a team, as a duo right now. Okay, this is the goal. This is a timeline. What does everything in mm. between have to happen that that goal is achieved? All right, interesting. And be prepared for things to change. Mm. So to some degree, kind of like a SWOT analysis type thing of like how will you, if all of a sudden there's no money coming in, if you have, for example, angel investors, but they pull out at the last minute, like what are you going to do then? And or uh, things like that. So kind of if you have a big thing that affects the rest of the project, if that doesn't happen, what will you do then? Mm. Having some kind of idea that it's not completely finished. All right. What will you do if a world pandemic hits again? You know? (laughs) But, like, in that sense, kind of, like, be as specific as possible with the ability that things will change. Mm, mm, mm. Cool, cool. Uh, Jenny, do you have any any summarizing, wrapping up questions to Rika before we have the next thing? So... What kind of questions do people, I mean, like, let's say in personal life, we want to make uh, the bestest, best uh, playbook for ourselves. What kind of questions should we ask ourselves before doing so? What do you want? What do I want? Yeah, what do you want? Yeah, Mm. true. Everything, you know, going back to like sports metaphors, but like, is it running a marathon or, you know, running an ultra marathon? Like your playbook is going to be different depending on like, what do you actually want? 
and I and it can go into this is my only relationship advice. Um, I remember <laughs> when studying, one of my friends, her actual goal in life was to be a mom. Like that was all she ever wanted. That's like the biggest goal that she had or like the thing that she wants more in life is to be a mom. And so every single date she went on, like in the back of her head, she made those decisions thinking, am I wasting my time? Or is this someone who could potentially be a future spouse who would be, you know, the future father of her children? Mm. And because that was legitimately something that she was so focused on that it, you know, affected those decisions along the way. And again, everyone has to think, what is it I actually want? Do I want to be a CEO of a billion dollar company? Well, what do I need to fucking do to be able to do that? Mm. Like everyone's playbook is completely different depending on like, what do you actually want? And that sometimes can be harder than the actual things to do because a lot of the times people don't actually know what they want. That's so true. That, yeah, <laughs> that's true. So determine your goal and know what you want and then is it work or is it personal life? Then you, you can you can shape your playbook. Cool. And ask help. Like yeah. no one does anything in the end completely by themselves. Like mm. you have support groups around you. They're your best friends, or you're there to your teammates, or they're certain you know social media people who influence you to be better. Whatever. Like you have literature and, and books and whatnot that help people achieve whatever. And I think that's one of those first things is also like saying it out loud. Like, hey, this is what I want. I want a billion dollar company. Okay, then be available to talk about it to other people and hear their viewpoints on like how you could possibly achieve it and accept that someone else's differentiating viewpoint might actually be the way that you achieve it. Mm. That you're not going to have all of the answers. The majority of the time you're going to get answers from just saying things out loud and actually listening to what other people are saying. As much as I'd like, I don't know everything. <laughs> Great. Uh, this time I wanted to try uh, one new thing for our podcast is uh, Blitz. So I ask you, there's actually five questions, but four of them are kind of short, short questions. And you, and you give me, you can give me a short answer, but also some excellent answer. So snowboarding or cycling? Depending on the weather. Cool. A hike in Lapland or a Route 66 road trip? Depending on the weather. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We talked about work and life balance. So work or life? Life. And uh, live the rest of your life in a wild jungle or on a moon base? Neither. All right. She looks <laughs> shocked. Looked. Mm. <laughs> and uh, my last question here is not a short one. So if you would have an unlimited, unlimited amount of resources to do something, what would you do? Angel investor. Excellent. Uh, so... Before we actually stop that recording, do you guys want to add something as final words? 
it has been really nice to hear and share the views and maybe our own playbooks on the table about like the projects and personal life. Like I think I got a lot of good tips mm. and views on this. And Rika, thank you so much. It was really nice discussing about these topics. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being on your podcast and I can't wait to hear what the listeners think of possibly them creating their own playbooks as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fly For It podcast. In this episode, we talked about the importance of having a playbook for your personal and work life. Our guest today was Rika Rasanen, a team coach, lecturer, and project specialist at Karelia University of Applied Sciences. Rika's LinkedIn profile link is in the description. Go follow her. Also, a quick reminder for you, dear listeners. We have a LinkedIn page for this podcast, and it's meant to be the place where we can continue exploring the topics we talked on the pod. So go follow Fly For It on LinkedIn. My name is Andre. I co-host this podcast with Jenny. We have really cool stuff coming, so stay tuned. And hey, whatever you're going to do, fly for it. <laughs> <laughs>